Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dork down for a while Hello, you are listening to The Dork Forest with Jackie Cation I, coincidentally enough, am Jackie Cation you know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com, if you enjoy a determiner. The Dork Forest is a podcast that's on all the platforms, your iTunes, and then I, I populate it over to YouTube. It's on Stitcher and Pandora and Spotify, and but wherever you listen to podcasts, hopefully uh, it makes it available in a thousand different ways. It is November, and I'll also use this for December. Uh, this month, I ask that you not donate to the Dork Forest. If you want to support the Dork Forest, you can. You can order from Amazon using the tiny link that just takes you to Amazon and you order like normal. You can buy merch on the store page on JackieCation.com. You can go to the Bandcamp DorkForest.com and buy extra episodes and stories and stuff if you like to do that. You can come and see me do stand-up comedy at uh, which my tour is all over JackieCation.com. And in November and December, I'm actually on the road quite a bit, including Minneapolis and Madison, uh, Wisconsin. So those are my... But don't donate. Don't use the PayPal button to donate. And if you're doing it monthly, know that your donation uh, will be going to the LA Food Bank. Because what I ask is that you don't donate to the Dork Forest in November and December, and instead donate to your local food bank. Go to feedingamerica.com if you are in the United States, put in your zip code, and it'll tell you your local food bank. Or you can just Google the words food bank and the name of your town. That happens all over the world. You can do that anywhere in the world. But just uh, for these two months, uh, just uh, help people around you. That's all I'm saying. Other than that... The Dork for we should do the credits. Yes, Mike Rickberg composed and sang that song with Sarah Cohen, his wife, and he will sing his version of the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program. Patrick Brady fixes this audio, and Vilmos still fixing JackieCation.com, bless his heart. Anyway, let's get into the show. Hey, it's Jackie Cation, I'm in the living room again, but this time with Adam Conover. I just saw you do stand-up for the first time in a million years. It was oh, delightful. Thank you so much. That's so nice of you to yeah. say, because I admire your stand-up so much. Well. Look at us with a mutual admiration society of stand-up comedy. Adam Conover, uh, Rangers of the Dork Forest, you should know, has a show on Earwolf called Factually. Yeah. Factually. Get it? It's like actually, but with facts. Exactly. It's almost a joke. Huh? But it's not quite. So close. Of a title. And unbelievably, there was not already a podcast called that. Um, that is kind of unbelievable that there wasn't. I know, but there, there seriously, there seriously was not. There was somebody with a podcast called Factually Incorrect, but they're defunct. Anyway, okay. yeah, I interview experts and, and and stuff like that. It's really cool. Check it out. Super fun. Now, also at Adam Conover, C O N O V E R. Yeah. Uh, on the Twitter, is that also on the Instagram pretty much and stuff? everything? Twitch too. People oh, you can, got it. I got Twitch. Uh, if it's on Venmo, there's a hyphen. That's the only place is different. So if Make you want to send me ten bucks, a note. <laughs> Buy Adam Conover a glass of coffee or something. Tea, I drink tea. tea. Do you do an iced or? Uh... I do hot tea. I do iced tea if it's more like I want to wash down a sandwich. Hot tea, but I switched from coffee to hot peachy tips black tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wonderful, so much better than coffee. Easier on the stomach, more soothing, and you can drink it all day as opposed to coffee, where you're like, you know, with coffee you're like. I, oh, I need a little boost. And you drink one cup of coffee. And you're like, mm-hmm. now I had way too much. And I'm grinding oh, my teeth. And tea doesn't do that. 
tea doesn't do that. And you're having a black tea. You're having a, a caffeinated, uh, caffeinated black uh, adult tea. beverage, essentially, yes. right? Yeah. And do you, how do you take it? Let's just, let's just, just find out. Just nothing in it. Just oh, pure just black. black tea. Yeah. That's how I like it, but you could put creamer in it, like sure, in, like, like, like coffee, like like the British do. Uh, cause yeah, because I'll do a, I'll do, I like an Irish breakfast tea. That's and nice. And I like it with a little milk. That's nice. I like. I bought a tea cozy and everything. That's great. I, you you got to try PG Tips. Have you tried PG Tips? So I got my recommendations from a British friend, right, Siobhan Thompson, who I was like, I want to tr- start drinking tea. And there's so much bad tea in America. Yeah. And she was like, get PG Tips, which is the most popular one in England, but you can get it in grocery stores in the U.S. T I P S. T-I-P-S, yeah. Letter P, letter G, T-I-P-S. And right. it's excellent. And if you've been drinking Lipton or some other shit, right. you know, and then you try this, you'll be like, oh, I didn't know tea could be the... It's kind of <laughs> like the Starbucks of good tea, where it's just like okay. a solid, dependable step above the shit you were drinking. Right, you know? right, right. It's uh, I'm, I'm pro that. I, uh, I'm i working on... Um, 10 pounds of Vietnamese coffee that I bought in Vietnam. <laughs> like a crazy person. <laughs> so what I'm doing is I'm mixing, uh, I'm, I'm mixing, would you like to try it? Sure. Yeah, have, have a sip. And uh, here's a scoop on, um, it's a mix of a Dunkin' Donuts mm. and a Vietnamese. <laughs> because uh, the Vietnamese, I'm, sort of, I'm nursing it. I'm, you know, so you're, you've combined it with Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, I do like uh, two scoops of Dunkin' Donuts and one scoop of Vietnamese. <laughs> or I'll just make a Vietnamese iced coffee. Is it? And, is it like the? It's not the French coffee that is you see in Vietnamese restaurants. Um, yeah, with the with the usually it's got sweetened condensed milk and stuff. The iced. Yeah, but I mean, there's a brand. Uh, oh, the brand. It's like you see this orange I can. You know I couldn't about? find uh, the. Uh, here's the thing. So I bring it back. I bring mm-hmm. back two small eight ounce uh, daily bobs of it. Yeah, and uh, have them. I have, I, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm doing good. It's got a barcode. It's got to be available <laughs> on Amazon, right? Yeah. Uh, at the very least. And yeah. I cannot find it. A months go by, like two, three months. Finally, I email, I Facebook message the guy who was the tour guide on one of our, uh, in the town <laughs> where I bought it. And I said, can you send me 10 pounds of this? I'll pay you. And he goes, yes, yes, I can. I can do whatever you want if you'll pay me. And, uh, and so uh, the, the coffee ends up costing 20 bucks a pound. Which is what coffee can cost here, right? But that's with shipping and me giving him sixty bucks for doing it. <laughs> and he was like, and he literally was like, he got, he got the Western Union wire. He goes, "You ever want to do this again? If you want to do this regularly, if you want to do whatever you want to do, I'm in." Because sixty bucks in Vietnam, it's a lot. Is, yeah, it's like half a year's wages for a for a normal person. I really want to go to money. Vietnam. It seems so interesting because uh, it's a delight. It, it seems perfect. Really cool. Very interesting history with the U.S. Obviously, horrible history, but then also the French. The, I think right. I think about that a lot because, you know, I've only had Vietnamese food in the U.S., but like the banh mi and the Vietnamese yeah. iced coffee and stuff like that is so much this combination of French and Vietnamese food, mm-hmm. and it really makes you, me think colonialism so bad killed so many people. Good vi- for rest. Violates their liver. Great for food. It makes really good. Makes food. good food. Been trying to work on a bit that nobody wants to hear <laughs> about how um, uh, sort of European nations go in, uh, or just white people. Let's just cut it. Cut to the chase. Yeah. White people make people poor, so then they have to figure out how to turn chitlins into something edible, and not only edible. <laughs> Fucking yummy. Yeah, and uh, and that's what and that's what poor people do. Poor, poor people. Pe- poor people food. Right. Uh, there's an Armenian dish 
<laughs> that I love that uh, are people in Armenia are like, what? Uh, it's called Kortenbort. Kortenbort? Kortenbort. And it is, uh, which I'm sure is Turkish. for, And it, well, all it is 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 the shitty leftover grape leaves <laughs> from wrapped grape leaves, the ones that ripped yeah. in a stew. That sounds great. It's delicious. Is and it, it like, and they're like softened up? Like Yeah, well, you cook them with, you know, you cook them with like a little bit of meat yeah. or, and a little bit of a tomato and... Uh, yeah. And it's and and all it is is just a it's sort of like a collard green mix, but it's lovely. I love that. I love how many good foods are just like it's. Uh, what does Anthony Bourdain call them? It's like it's not poverty food. It's like peasant food. Peasant food is the word. Right. Like so many great dishes. So many great French dishes are po- peasant food. So many great Chinese dishes. Um, and then also, I was trying to work a bit on a bit. Nobody likes. And by the way, what, what I was going to say about colonialism is what's what it does. That's good. Is it brings those food cultures and they collide and they create beautiful new tastes. Exactly. So the fact that Vietnamese food has a baguette in it mm-hmm. and it's like a fresh baguette, but then with a you with know, por- cilantro and pork and that's uh, great. Th- we're in Vietnam three days in, and I'm on an old people tour on mm-hmm. a bus because I don't speak Vietnamese, and so Andy and I so we're. Um, by day three, we're all just kind of looking around, and finally, one of us gets the courage to say to the Vietnamese tour guide, "Hey, are we going to get any bon mi?" And he goes, "You want seventy-five cent street food? <laughs> I've been bringing you to fine rest like people's homes yeah. where they're making you the finest meals." And we're like, "No, no, keep doing that." But we would also like uh, shitty street food. This this food and- became famous in America in two thousand thirteen, <laughs> sir. And we want to have it. <laughs> oh, my God. And he was like, yeah. And so he took us to the Anthony Bourdain one. Oh, great. That he went to. And uh, and it turns out it was delicious, as yeah. it always is. Yeah. Well, I, the bit that I was trying to work yeah. on is how the popular food in every city is the cheapest, kind of the cheapest, shittiest food. Like, in the U.S., it came from me, like, starting to really tour as a comic for the first time. And then, you you know, you go to a place and you're like, I'm in Philly. I got to get a cheesesteak. Right. But then that ends up, uh, so many times I've actually just gotten the cheesesteak at the airport. Which yeah. is like. Don't, I got buffalo not, wings at Buffalo. Not having. It was terrible. Yeah. And you're not really having the experience of it. Nope. Right? But then I also realized every time I did that, oh, and the worst is Cincinnati chili, which is. Uh, it's a thing? You've never had Cincinnati chili? Is that what I'm supposed to have when I go to Cincinnati? I yeah. guess so. All right. Oh, it's this very specific kind of chili <laughs> where what it is is it's a spicy uh, – it's not spicy. Sorry. It's not spicy. It's like a tomato sauce with cinnamon and other spices in it, and it's served on spaghetti. Uh, and it's also served with cheddar, tr- grated cheddar cheese on top and chopped onions and occasionally kidney beans. It's like a very, very specific – Regional food to Cincinnati. It sounds like a pasta dish. It is. They call it Cincinnati chili. Okay. But it is a pasta dish. It was invented by like a Greek man who li- like Didn't lived in fully Cincinnati. Get and then and- <laughs> created a small chain. Right. And you should have it and get it and have it while you're there so you see what madness people are doing. Right. Uh, but it's it's not it's it's in it's distinct and it's interesting. I wouldn't say it's good, but it's, right. Uh, please don't be like mad scrapple. at me. Scrapple. Like, have you had scrapple? No. It's a Jersey, probably Pennsylvania mm-hmm. thing. It's just some sort of hash. Yeah. And you're like, well, this is garbage food, and it's yeah. fine. It's just essentially, it's just empty the fridge. Yeah. Scramble it all together. Uh, put the egg on it to make yeah. it fancy. Uh, maybe I can't remember what scrapple. And it's very good. And look, Cincinnati is fine. And if you have positive feelings about it, that's fine. I Please. just, you know, no, no, and and love it. And I'm just, yeah. it, it, we're not talking Texas barbecue here in terms of like a true. 
but but so we're not the, talking a croissant made in yeah. rural France with artisanal butter. But so uh, local local foods are so much just cheese on carbs. Like ninety yeah. percent <laughs> of them is bagels, pizza, cheesesteak. How about? Uh, but but then across the globe, it's the dumpling yeah. and the and the pocket sandwich. Oh, love that! And uh, who doesn't want a pierogi or yeah. uh, or whatever the pierogi is everywhere else? Now, right? I would love to do a t- a food travel TV show just about dumplings, <laughs> right? Because oh. every culture's got their own dumpling. Sure do. Per- and then but and they're all you you and you, go, you what, go a little wide. Jamaican do your people beef patty, have a you know? do, do, does uh, does your family was there a dumpling happening? <laughs> um let's see. I mean my family's really just uh American white people that have been right. here for so a long time. Right. So was there ever chicken and dumplings? Did uh, they ever make that? Yeah, we would make like That's what Andy's family yeah, made. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yes. They'd drop some dough into a chicken broth and boil it up. That's very nice. And then all of a sudden there was chicken and dumplings. We never had that. We had an Armenian thing called Monty. Manta, we called it as a child, but I guess the correct pronunciation. I'm surrounded by my people here. They're in the know. I can make manta, which is called Monty, but it's all it is. It looks like a wingnut. It's a <laughs> it's a it's a piece of dough with a piece of meat in it, and then ter- uh, squished together to look like a wingnut. And then you bake them all. And my grandmother Lovely. used to make them in lots of a thousand. And we would eat them like popcorn until she would like literally slap <laughs> our hands and go, this took me eight hours. Uh, the amazing, they go in soup. The amazing thing about dumplings, uh, about all types of dumplings, is that they're hard to make for a food. Like all the cooking I do is the only – I love to cook. and I But I just like put oil in a pan and I put shit in it and I make it hot and then I eat it. Like if there's more than one step. I don't do it, right? I just like. Do you put it on top of anything? Uh, yeah, I put it on rice or something oh, good. like that. There you go. Start the rice cooker or start the pasta boiling. Right. Put some shit in a pot. Make it hot. Make a stew. Make a pasta sauce. Make a stir fry, and then it's I'm like done, that. Right? Yeah, but a dumpling. But you're willing to cut up a thing. I wanted to cut. Up, cut I'll cut up. I'll cut up. I'll chop. But a dumpling, you have to chop and then cook a thing. And then take it out and then <laughs> make some dough and then roll the dough, cut the dough, put it in, fill uh-huh. it, pinch it. Cook it again. Cook it again, boil it, fry it, whatever you're going to do to mm-hmm. it. And that is so much work. And that's what I'm shocked that people ever found time to do because like that, those steps right. are like not necessary. There's this there's – this, uh, we're not – And they're necessary to make dumplings, but they're not necessarily to eat anything. You know what I mean? Right. My grandmother – uh, would make this. There was this stuff called boreg, and uh, it is all it is is a it's a fried cheese pie, and uh, it's it, she would make fried boreg and she would make uh, baked boreg, and baked boreg had uh, filo dough. Mm. You know that stuff that you got to oh, stack, yeah. and there's a thousand pieces of it. Oh God, filo dough so good. It's so good, and I made it one time, and she tasted it, and she was like, "This isn't bad." Did you make your own filo dough? And I said, "No." And my stepmother, I remember from the back, she was like, "Ma, she has a life." She's not making her own filo dough. And uh, I was like, well, I could I probably make my own. And she's like, hey, what did you do? And I said, I bought filo dough. And she said, buy. F-. And, that's, and my grandmother was like, that would be better if you made it. But, you know, she's right. You have a job. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't feel responsible to make everything. I, right. I have a theory about cooking, yeah. which is that I think everybody should cook more. I think we've lost a lot of our cultural memory for cooking. I think a lot of it is because... People want to do this fucking blue apron cooking where they want to see a pretty plate and they want three courses and they want to feel like it's like some spe- – like they think that's what cooking is. Mm-hmm. And so they think it's got to be some fucking craft project. And like, look, it's – you got shit in your fridge. You put oil <laughs> in the pan. You make the shit hot. You put soy sauce or whatever you like on it. You taste mm-hmm. it. 
is it good or is it not good? You you know you, you eat it in any case. You eat just it in because any case. You're usually alone. And then you yeah exactly. And then you do that for 15 years. Yes. And then you know something about cooking. Right. And, and you don't need to be. Not everyone is going to be Martha Stewart. You don't need to aspire to be Martha Stewart. You just are trying to get dinner on the table. Right. In a lot of cases, yeah. you're just trying to, to eat a food and you're trying to eat as healthy as you can yeah. in, in a simple yeah. fashion. And like my parents, like the kind of cooking they did when we were growing up and the kind of cooking they taught me to do is like how to make simple pasta dinner, olive oil, onion, you know, saute onions, yeah, yeah. put ground beef in there, bottle of ragu to, you know, yeah, and then yeah. boil pasta. And that's like, I just knew how to do that. And now, if I'm cooking for myself, I go fancier than that. I make the tomato sauce from scratch. Cause that's I've, it. I've you learned how to do it. You chop up some tomatoes. Yeah. That's all. Exactly. You buy yourself some oregano. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. But you can start with the simple version, and mm-hmm. then you learn to fancy it up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to make my own chicken broth now. I don't do it all the time. I, but I just made a giant pot of stock. Isn't it the Want to take some with you? Uh, you need any stock? You're I good? mean, I would. Sure. Oh, my God. I've got stock. Um, <laughs> it's the, it I'm, is liquid we, gold. That's we, it is liquid gold, but I have too much of it. <laughs> so uh, Because uh, my mother-in-law gave me a stock pot as tall as this Incredible. couch. So, uh, and I eat a lot of chicken because I almost only want to make chicken. Mm. And, so when you, and I buy whole chickens, and then I have them cut them up uh, because I have an unsubstantiated belief that they are somehow... Uh, less full of disease. If I buy a whole chicken and then I cut it up, you know, uh, then you if could I be buy, right. well, because then it, it's yeah. never, it's three people haven't touched it and stuck yeah. it in packaging. It's also much it, cheaper to do it that way. Yeah, and then then they just hand me a chicken, and then so then you have the back, yes. and you have the neck, and you have all and these that's things. Exactly what I learned. To and do, I yeah. stick it in the freezer, and then I have bits and pieces of, of yeah. onions as I cook that I also stick in the freezer: carrots and onions and celery. That's the way to do and it. And I stick that in the freezer, and then I combine them all. With, uh, I forget every time, but like more herbs and some pep, black pepper. That's great. And I boil it for uh, a good four or five hours and then yeah. I strain it and it's a pain in the ass. But uh, then I have chicken broth for years. It's incredible. And then you can make so much, you can use to make soup or you can use it to make a risotto or something like that. Yeah. So good. Um, I, I usually do that quite often. I do a little bit less now because I try to. I have started mostly cooking vegan at home. I just like don't buy meat, but my girlfriend likes meat, so I'll cook it. She'll buy it. Are you say, vegan? I'm not vegan, but I like to try to eat vegan. Yeah. when I can. Well, and, and vegan just means you're just not eating any meat or cheese, right? Yeah, or dairy. Or dairy. Um, and so like, let's see. Today I have so far eaten vegan all day long. Okay. But if I was really starving and I was like on the way home from this, I would like, and there was something really good, I would be like, ah, I'll, I'll get it, you know? Yeah. Um. But so it's really just sort of I try to make choices that incline me towards probably being vegan. To, but, to eating more vegetables and – Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, but you do grains. You do carbs or whatever. I eat grains. Yeah. There I you totally, go. I totally eat grains. I got an Instant Pot. I cook a ton of stuff in the Instant Pot. People are talking up the Instant Pot. You should <laughs> – I, I think we – have a, We have a rice cooker. A rice cooker is – I use rice cooker too. Love yeah. the rice cooker. Instant Pot – so much of the is, fits the type of cooking I do, the one pot cooking. Right. With uh, do you, do you, my sister uses it for dried beans. Do you uh, use it exact, for dried beans? That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> dried beans in the instant pot. Incredible. I actually because it's signed, not overnight, right, or something. Yeah, no, you can cook. You can cook dried beans in like an hour or two. That's amazing. It's incredible. Um, and it is. Do you have I, a favorite dried bean? <laughs> yeah. So the, I, I just point. want to note that you're pointing at me. I'm pointing at you. you like Because I do. I, a dried bean I never eat, but it is my favorite dried bean. Uh, you mean, do I like it 
uh, what is my favorite one to eat, right? Yes. Now, like, what's my favorite yes. one to make to make a macrame out of or whatever it is? <laughs> no, um, please. Do not make a diorama see. of the people you most admire. Which one is my favorite? Um, Black-eyed pea might be the most rewarding because it's very fast to cook even if you don't have an Instant Pot. Oh. And it sort of breaks down and makes a really nice broth. Like, for a starter, I'd say... Black-eyed black peas pea. and lentils are both amazing lentils, for just cooking. Lentils are, are amazing. Yeah, um, lentils are just good. Yeah, that's just good times. And it makes and also for vegan cooking, if you because you know chicken chicken stock homemade chicken stock as you know makes a soup so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but bean broth is a really amazing replacement for it if you're cooking the bean from dry. Do you ever uh, stick in like a, a stick of kombu? Kombu? No, I should do that. Yeah, which is that seaweed stuff. Uh, it adds a certain yeah. uh, depth to it. Yeah, that's I went. A- I was macrobiotic for one year, except for beer. Guess what? <laughs> I wasn't macrobiotic. Uh, <laughs> but I like uh, that. Then the year that I was macrobiotic, but not, uh, was the year I fell in love with the aduki bean. Aduki, aduki. I've heard it pronounced both ways. I'm not. Well, I was trying to correct you. No, no. But it is also yeah, yeah. It's both, and yeah. it's just a tiny red bean. Yeah, and it's d freaking lish. I have that bean. I have a I have a bag of that bean, and I haven't found a reason to use it, like because it's a sweet bean, right? Right. It's and, got well. What should I do with this bean? You should get a strip of kombu and uh, and cook it with that. Yeah, and then you're you could just put an onion in it as well. Yeah, and then that will temper some of the sweetness of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's because my favorite squash. And then I just w- eat it. And then just eat it. Okay, great. Right, just on top of rice. <laughs> Or, okay. Yeah, and then there's also um, my favorite squash is the sweet dumpling squash, <laughs> which is uh, it looks kind of like a delicata. It's stripy, mm-hmm. except for that it's shaped like uh, a tiny pumpkin. This uh, sounds really. This sounds really nice. Yeah, it's nice. It's autumn. Did you know that we're coming on Thanksgiving here? I, know, I bought uh, I bought an acorn squash the other day. I got to use it for something before it goes bad. We got and it won't. Uh, we have an acorn squash we've had you it got, for about a month. You got to do the beans from dry though. Let me just for the folks listening, if you think you've eaten a bean, like you haven't really because canned beans are just a different food. Camp and they're fine and they're good they're in their good, own way. But if you're cooking a bean from dry and you're getting the broth, like you saute the onion too and everything, you have no idea how good just a bean. And olive oil and onion and salt can taste, and how fulfilled you can be by that as a meal. And now, do you saute the onion before you put it in the Instapot, or do you just put it all in there raw, call it a day? This is a good question. If it's a fast cooking bean, I will do the saute the onion first, and Makes then I'll sense. put the and then I'll put the bean in with the water, and then just let it go. If it's a long cooking bean, I will cook the bean about halfway in the instant pot for like an hour. Then I will separately cook the onions and carrots and any kind of other sort of aromatics. Um, saute them and then put them in. So that oh, for I'm that not, last so, hour. So I'm not overcooking the, the oh, onion. Oh, right. And so really it isn't just it. a, a yeah. crazy mishmash. Hey, uh, are you playing that uh, that Zelda game? <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a segue to uh, what what I we actually prepped to talk we about. We were going to, yes, we were going to do it. My could be Instant Pot, One Pot Cooking. And, it could be. And uh, regional food stuffs. Like, I clearly like food. But, yeah. Well, but. and 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 we um and I'm clearly hungry because <laughs> me too. I haven't eaten since lunch. <laughs> right. It's a, I, I had a giant breakfast, mm. but it was at um, probably ten thirty, eleven o'clock, and it is now uh, uh, five thirty or whatever. <laughs> so uh, our, our lives. A giant breakfast. But wasn't Gets there's a new Zelda? The there's new a Zelda. New, the new Zelda game has cooking in it. So that that's my transition Breath, to Breath of the Wild. Yep. Yes. Uh, really good cooking in that in that Zelda game. I yeah. 
Uh, I did a lot of cooking in that game. I was a little disappointed by one element of the cooking in the game, which is that you can discover these sort of like special recipes. Like mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. basically if you uh, combine the different ingredients, you can just sort of choose, oh, what's going to go in here? And you can sort of like – it'll like create a dish based on what you put in. It'll be like a spicy fruit stew. Wow. And you're like, wow, I made a spicy fruit stew and that will have certain properties. And then you can make special – you know, dishes like like consistently, um, yeah, consistently. Yeah. Like, like there there'll be recipes that are hidden around. People are like, yeah. oh, if you put this together, like you'll get like a special dish, like a like a macaroni and cheese or something like that. Yeah, and you can make that. But then those dishes, they look pretty, but they don't really do anything super special for you. And I kind of wish that they did. Oh right, um, like they offered a power of some sort. Yeah, I wish they offered some kind of power. They don't really, but it's still very delightful to cook in that game the food looks really good something that japanese video games are really good at is uh uh and japan and anime too and japanese culture almost generally cartoons is rendering food really well um i remember that from dragon ball z yes and the game the game final fantasy 15 okay one of the best things about it came out a couple years ago one of the best things about it is you go into restaurants and you order like particular meals yeah. and then they place down <laughs> in front of you the most beautifully rendered like glistening version of the meal and like close up uh, uh, you know of the camera on it yeah and it looks like an hd yeah an hd and it looks so <laughs> fucking delicious yeah and that does give you special powers based on what you eat um and there's a lot of games that do that the yakuza games have you order specific food um and then something that my girlfriend lisa and i were noticing in yes. uh lisa hannah walt a wonderful cartoonist and illustrator and creator of the netflix show tuca and birdie which i always plug um we were noticing that if you watch a lot of like anime yeah um like yeah, miyazaki movies or or yeah. even just any any sort of anime they'll often be these shots of just someone cooking dinner. Like, yeah. they'll just do this interstitial of like, okay, we had our adventure and now we're back at home and then here's mom or grandma the, one of the main characters. Yeah. yeah. And like, you'll see them chop, 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 put the ingredients in the pot, stir it up a little bit mm-hmm. and then put the, serve the food to everybody and everybody eats the food and they all say, wow, delicious, oishi, right? They okay. say delicious. Oh, really? And it has no bearing on the plot, right? (laughs) Right. Like, you don't need to see all these people cook and eat for each other. But it's so nice, and it's just a nice break from everything else that's happening (laughs) as, like, just a restful domestic moment. Right, right. It's just like, you can't all, your life can't just, you know, that's the B-plot. That is the message of of all Japanese anime or anime um, stories is that uh, it can't be adventures all the time. Yeah. You gotta sit down and have dinner with your mom occasionally. There's a lot of nice domestic, there's a real focus on domestic domestic simple pleasures yeah um in a lot of japanese media that i really relate to that's Uh, awesome yeah it's really it's really wonderful and it's not until i watched a lot it took me this long to like notice that as being a thread that i really like yeah it's definitely there yeah now you've got me thinking about all the miyazaki movies and i don't know if you know this about ponyo but she loves ham are you familiar yeah. with she, the idea? She goes, ham! <laughs> yeah. Panya loves ham. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of that. And she stole the ham out of all the sandwiches. <laughs> and uh, and it's good times. <laughs> it's really and, uh, wonderful. It is really wonderful. And but in that movie... Uh, it was complete banana land is that yeah. uh, Ponyo and the five-year-old, because Tina Fey has left them uh, by the lighthouse yeah. on that cliff to go help the senior citizens. Uh, she's like, I'll be back in like three days. You know where the cereal is. And uh, so she leaves 
the mom. Yeah. And so then Ponyo uh, is just there with the little boy, and then they uh, get in with uh, some ham sandwiches into a boat, and then they have their journey to go find his mom in uh, at, at the yeah. senior center. So... It's been so long since I've seen this movie, but I love I love Miyazaki movies so much. They're my favorite. They're, you know what? I can't remember any food scenes in Valley of the Wind or uh, Valley I of the. Seen that one. That's the one with the giant bugs. Oh, Naushka in the Valley of the Wind. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Um, I have seen that one. Valley and, of the. And yeah, I don't remember any food scenes in that one. That one is so similar to Princess Mononoke, and I think he almost remade. It in Princess Mononoke. I like, Mononoke I like Nausicaa better. You like Nausicaa better? Yeah, than Princess Mononoke. Ah. But I haven't seen uh, Princess Mononoke recently, and I tend to watch uh, Nausicaa on the regular. I so, think Princess Mononoke might be the might be the best one of his. Uh, but I mean, how can you even compare them? Uh, the Wind Rises, I thought, was unbelievably. Beautiful. I don't know that I've seen that. That one. was his last movie before he recently came out of retirement and is now working on another movie. Okay. But The Wind Rises is really, really beautiful, and it's about World War Two, and uh, for or against? Uh, Do we remember? Against the war, definitely. He's interesting. a he's a pacifist, but so it's really interesting because he loves so Hayao Miyazaki loves planes. Um, airplanes? Like airplanes. Okay. And so this is a movie about airplanes, and it's a movie about a little boy who grows up to become an airplane designer. Okay. And he goes on to, I hope I'm not mangling the storyline, but he goes on to design the Zero, which is the iconic Japanese fighter plane. Right. Um, and he, it's about how he sort of like regrets designing it even though he but like loves the plane that he designed right and you know it's about like the romantic i think he keeps saying something like planes are a beautiful dream mm-hmm. it's like a sort Aww. of mantra um it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous movie porco rossi porco or, yeah yeah porco that Rosa, one incredible. Uh, Rosso, yeah it was uh was a gorgeous plane celebration like, of the airplane as well the thing where they said you know the the cliche and the title of a YouTube series, Every Frame of Painting, you've heard about film? No. Um, there's a YouTube series called Every Frame of Painting that, that is like dissecting popular films. And I believe that phrase is from someone, some other film critic. Right, right. Um, but in the case of Hayao Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movies, it's literally true. Like yeah. every frame is literally a painting. Right. And if you pause any moment it's like every single frame is the most beautiful piece of art you've ever seen right right <laughs> like just like <laughs> composition is perfect and like you could go see oh my god um we went to see his museum in japan Have oh you my god museum no oh my god oh his okay so he didn't did, it burn did it burn what, down there was there was there was some there was a fire i don't think i heard that um i mean it could i be, might be I wrong Okay. I might be thinking of something else. I hope, you know what I'm I thinking of. Oh, what is it? Uh, I'm not the hero of this sentence, but here we go. The Wallace and Gromit uh, studio. Did that burn down? Yeah, that burned down. When? Uh, but, uh, probably a year and a half, two years ago in uh, in London. They rebuilt. Okay. But there were a lot of the original sets and stuff got wow. lost. Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Come on. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, which is... Well- because that's all stop action. Yeah. It's all instead of um, animation. And then you phys- and it's physical. Yeah. It's still animation, stop motion animation. Yeah. Um, but no, the so the, the Studio Ghibli Museum is a museum that Hayao Miyazaki designed. He designed the experience of going through the museum. Oh, cool. It's in, it's outside, it's in Tokyo? It's, it's about half an hour outside of Tokyo. Nice. It's in like the Tokyo metropolitan area. Okay. Um, and it's 
lovely from the outside it's beautiful from the inside it's beautiful you have to buy a timed ticket so you have to go at a particular time so there right. aren't there aren't crowds um and it's like you're walking through all these different exhibits he does like this just this sort of like wonderland it's mostly children like small like small children who right. are there um and but the most incredible thing is there's this part where you walk through this uh, uh, exhibit of an animator's studio. Like they've created, here's where animators work. Oh. And then every surface of this place, it's like four or five animators' desks, you know. Every surface of it is covered with original sketches from the movies that they have like put up. So like there's a <laughs> table and there's like sketches all over. And then on the walls, and you know, just like from all the different movies. Yeah. And so you're walking through and, you know, it's like a shuffle because everyone's moving forward a little bit and you don't want to hold the line. So you're just like stealing glances. Like I need to absorb all of this incredible right. original artwork that's on the wall. But it's sort of curated. Like it's timed. So you yeah. only get an hour and a half or you get an hour. Or... Yeah, I think you you can spend a little bit longer there. Um, but yeah, like it's, uh, yeah. It, it, and, there, there's a movement. Yes. And there is a movie theater in the, this is why this is like a must see destination. There's a movie theater in the museum where they play animated shorts that were created by Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki Studio, mm-hmm. specifically to be shown in that museum and that is the only place that they can be seen and they play on a rotation so right. you, you go you get to see one of them right but there's like maybe a half dozen others okay. and you would have to go another time to see those others and, and hopefully it would not be the same one yeah hopefully you get to see a different one yeah or but, you see the same one and you'd be yeah. like oh my gosh and they're and they're like four children like it is they're uh, just kids yeah i mean it's really like i'm not a walt disney guy but it really seems to be like what if walt disney really was that magical and never changed, you know, right. like he's just is, uh, there's a, I know I said my dorkdom was Nintendo, but I love Hayao Miyazaki. So we can talk about that. Um, there's a wonderful documentary about him called, I think it's called the kingdom of dreams and madness, which oh, is really? a really intense t- uh, <laughs> title, uh, for a documentary about a yeah. man who makes children's movies, but it's just him and his process and how he makes things. And, um, it's incredible. Can yeah. I spew one more thing about it? Oh, my God. It's your hour, man. Okay. So you know how uh, when you watch a Hayao Miyazaki movie, um, it's like the storyline always seems a little bit like dreamlike. Like it moves from idea to idea. Yeah. Like uh, most recently I watched Spirited Away. Right. And Spirited Away is like, you know, this girl's parents get turned into pigs and then she goes into the the weird castle with all the demons and stuff like that. Right. No face comes in. She has to work out that problem. And there's also this prince who's who like – is a dragon and do you remember at the end of the movie she says all at once she's like oh when I was a child I fell into the river but something uh, pulled me out of the river so I didn't die and it was you dragon prince you're the spirit of the river and he yeah. was like yes I am right? <laughs> and I watched that with a friend who's like a Hollywood writer yeah. and he was like you know, he could have foreshadowed that earlier. Like, why not tell the story where she fell in the river earlier and be like, I don't know how I didn't, like, die in the river. And then at the end, you can be like, it was because this guy is the river spirit. Right. It didn't happen like that. It all happened at once, right? It all just happens. So yeah. so it drifts from thing to thing. And I can tell you why that is. Why? Because I've seen this documentary. But oh, yeah. you were about to say something. What no, no, please say it. Okay. So, so the way he makes the movies is he just starts storyboarding them like mm-hmm. at the beginning. He starts from like, what's shot one? 
Now what shot two? Oh. Now what shot three? Like he's a, he's an animator. He doesn't he's not doesn't do it with a script. He does it with a storyboard. And this is not a draft. It's not a draft. He just starts doing. He it. just doing. And then they start animating the beginning of the movie before he's done storyboarding. So that's why it's got this dreamlike motion. Wow. Because they are animating the beginning. So like Mike, he guess, hasn't finished the story. He hasn't yet. finished the story yet when they start the beginning of it. So he doesn't like do a second draft basically. Right. Um. Or like he probably goes and say, oh, let's redo that shot or like insert some stuff later. But he's not like working it over like a fucking Pixar movie. And you know when you watch a Pixar, like I love oh, Pixar movies, right. but they're a little bit overworked. It's like everything is like too perfect. They're, you know? they're, They've become more and more overworked yeah. as, as they do it because they're so proud of their process mm-hmm. that um, that they uh, – this is what I've heard about the Pixar process is that uh, whoever, is, whoever is the lead writer of an idea has to have shot for shot an idea of how that movie will go. Mm-hmm. They tell the story. They tell uh, every scene in that – you know, they, they talk for an hour and a half. They yeah. pitch the movie. Yeah. Uh, if it is accepted – they draw the movie. Yeah. And then they come back into the room. They do it three times. They, they make the movie. Apart. They tear it apart. They yeah. remake the movie three times. And then they release it. Yeah. So. Um, it's like intensely. It's like a super intense writer's room kind of environment where like they go over it again and again. And yeah, that's why it feels like so super polished. You and know? super tight um, yeah. if it's done right. But it's so interesting because the stuff that they're doing right now is so in many ways, not for children. Yeah, Pixar. And Yeah. yeah. And I, I was like, you know, I I love children. And <laughs> I think that they should get to be children. <laughs> and there's plenty of cartoons for adults. Yeah. And, and there's manga, which is for all ages. Yeah. But Pixar continues to sell to children. Yeah. But I remember watching Up and thinking, did that woman just have a miscarriage? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I like those, mo- those three... Pi- so, three... In three consecutive years, they released, I forget what order, but they released Wally, Ratatouille, and Up. And right. those, in my opinion, are the three best Pixar movies. And they're the ones that are the most like, how the fuck did they get away with making this movie? Like right. a movie with a French name about a rat who makes food. Right. And then the movie is about the life of an artist, basically. Yeah. And like what the artist's life is like. Pretty incredible, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really intense. And then they just sort of went really far in that direction. So now all their movies are super sad, but also super overworked. Um, <laughs> the coolest scene in this Hayao Miyazaki documentary that is like, it's the polar opposite of that Pixar process. It's just yeah. this one guy like just doing it from beginning to end. Obviously, he has a huge team, but right. so he's storyboarding it. He's doing he's doing the last shot of The Wind Rises. He's like working on the storyboard for the very last shot. And so he like... Draws a little sketch. Here's what I think it's going to look like. And then he has a stopwatch in his hand. He closes his eyes. And then he, the implication is he's picturing what the shot is going to be in his head. He's just like running the film in his head. Yeah. And then he hits stop on the stopwatch. And he's like, okay, that'll be about eight seconds long. Um, oh, wow. Which And then he's like, now I'm done. Because I, fi- I finished. And like, that's not how you get to work at Pixar. You're not just like, okay, I'm going to picture it. Yeah, okay. I, I ran the movie in my head. It's eight seconds long. All right, that's how long it'll be. Yeah. Um, which is like so that's personal. That's so interesting. And yeah. that's why they're so chunky and strange and strange by our standard. Like if you right. get – if you're getting, Or just foreign. Yeah. Just, just, just different. Yeah. Which is what foreign means. And, and that's uh, why – In the best way. I've been having a lot of fun watching foreign films lately because – you get 
here's just a different process than we're used to, you know? Um, and like it can get your creativity juiced a little bit. Oh yeah. You don't have to do everything the Pixar way. Right. right. And, and it's, it's a different perspective, which I think is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the, did you see Andy yesterday saw Parasite? Mm, yes. Korean? Uh, perfect example of this. Yes. Uh, and, um, he asked me if I wanted to see it and I said, no, no, no. Why not? Uh, I don't want to see a slice of life grifter movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's supposedly he was like it was amazingly well done. Yeah, it was incredibly well written yes. and beautifully acted. Yes, like uh, and then and beautifully shot. It's yeah, it's a, yeah. it just the whole package is there. Yeah, and then he told me it, and I literally was like, I'm gonna burst into tears for these people. And he goes, You know, it's fiction. And, uh, and I was like, uh, let me tell you something. It's not fiction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that is a slice of life as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, um, and, but it was, it sounded incredibly powerful and incredibly well done. And he, he great, needs yeah. that kind of, that, uh, that's where he does get inspiration is to see yeah. these different kinds of, you know, different, you know, p- people doing this different work. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it's so specific. I learned a lot about like I've never been to Seoul. I believe the movie set in Seoul looks like. I it. believe so. And so I, you know, started. Oh, this is what Seoul looks like. This is what it feels like to be there. This is what an artist from there uh, thinks about inequality mm-hmm. in Seoul, right? Mm-hmm. And thinks about the relationship between the classes and like, oh, you know, there's so much I learned about that. And then, yeah, just the just the way he, I don't know. There's there's something about it that is uh, it it's just enough off off kilter from what I normally get that it is like very inspiring to yeah. see. Yeah, it's it, it fires different neurons yeah. uh, for 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 people, and it's um, neurons that I want fired. Yeah, but uh, some people, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I've been, I've been hiding those neurons for decades. Lisa and, and I just watched a, a Wong Kar Wai movie. Um, he's a Hong Kong film director. One okay, of the, one of the best. And um, watch In the Mood for Love, very beautiful movie, very like slow, languorous, like sumptuous movie. Mm-hmm. But it's about all these people in um, these very like sort of high upper class or at the very least upper middle class, like madmen type people right. in Hong Kong. But they're all living in these tiny little tenement apartments. And it, it's between these two people. Like imagine Don Draper and one of Don Draper's rich mistresses, except the movie opens with them moving into the spare room that like an old lady has in a super high rise apartment building, you know? Right. And so just from that, that's the opening is like, Hey, do you have a, can, can I live in your spare room? And you're like, this, this person is extremely well dressed. They work yeah. in an office or wearing a tie and they're going to live in this lady's spare room. And right. like, have have dinner at their t- at their table like that's a very you know and I'm like oh. with the with the older lady with the older lady yeah. yeah and I'm like oh that's Hong Kong in the 60s like that's what it was at least to this director right and that was such a cool realization to have and then everything is shot really up close and tight because it's such a oh because to create the uh, just that so cramped you, that, that feeling of cramped yeah here's the thing I've been to Hong Kong mm. and um so have I yeah. The guy that booked the comedy club there, the co- the comedy run, he lived. I went up to his apartment, and he worked at Bloomberg. That was his day job, and he had a three hundred square foot apartment to himself. Mm. And it was he was about to get married. Yeah. He's now married and has two children, and I believe they have a six hundred square foot apartment. And it was definitely a people kennel, right? It was this <laughs> thing that was probably 
60 stories, maybe yeah. 80? Yeah. Because of the way Hong Kong is. The, the, the apartment buildings there are incredible. Right. It's 85% of Hong Kong is uh, national forest, uh, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And then, so everything is super, super tall. Did you go on the uh, the ski lift thing to the mall at the top of the... We did not take that, but we saw it. It just was... Right. Yeah. It's just, well, there's a ski lift, and then you look down, and then all of a sudden you're in Blade Runner. So, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, but uh, Michael Dorsher lived in this tiny apartment that yeah. he was like, well, we're going to get one because we're, we're getting, getting married and we're going to get a, t- a double this size. And I was like, well, party on, man. And uh, <laughs> But it looked like, I mean, I couldn't even tell where the bed, maybe the bed was a Murphy bed yeah. that he was living with. Yeah. But um, I love that shit. I love, I love city living. And when I saw like, you know, I, I mean – you know, one of the things people are protesting there right now is like the pr- price of housing is too high there, as it is everywhere. I think uh, it was like it was either three thousand or six thousand dollars a month for but his. They, they also have massive amounts of public housing, right? And so they have these huge public housing high rises, you know. And the buildings are gorgeous; they're painted really beautifully. Yep. Um, and so just like the way the way residences are there, I thought was super cool, and I like. Dense living. I frankly hate it here in Los it's Angeles. It's too I, spread out. Too, yeah, and too much space. People, we don't need this much space. <laughs> and space is, and this is the bullshit that people say about like the from the New York to LA move, right? People say, I'll have this argument with people so much they'll say, oh, it's so much cheaper in LA, mm-hmm. and then I'll say, actually, it's not. LA is the most expensive place to live in America compared to median income. The, the average rent compared to the income people make is the worst in America here. Um, and like, if you look at the actual, you know, uh, just the amount for apartments, it's like not. It's changed than New York. a lot. I've lived and here then, twenty years. Yeah. Well, it's got it's gone way up, right? Yeah. But then people say, I'll tell them that as a matter of statistics, it is not cheaper than New York. Right. And then they'll say. <laughs> But you get so much more space. I'm like, hold on, you just moved. Wait the a minute, posts. that's it. You just—that's a lateral move, yeah, my friend. That, okay. Did you, you want to talk about the real thing, or do you want to talk about this other thing? Yeah, okay. exactly. Because space is a luxury. There's a certain amount of space that's a minimum you can have as a person. But like Maria you know, Bamford used to have an old joke about how the difference between LA and New York is really that in New York there's nowhere to cry. Uh, in LA, you have your car, and uh, in, in New York, you have to buy a hat, and then just kind of roll it down. And if it's fuzzy on the inside, but canvas on the outside, so nobody approaches you, but it's nice and soft on the inside. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, I love it. Uh, but did you? So you were always New York. I I still I still like New York, but you know I've lived here five years now, and I found okay. the things that I like, and I'm reading a book about the L.A. River right now, and I'm trying to get into it, and I'm trying to become an aggressive fan of Los Angeles sports teams. Well, and you know, here's the thing: is when I was when I was first moved here, I was told that this is, and this is true when you move to anywhere. Where I had to move to New York, I would have to make this decision as well: is you have to choose to like it, yeah, uh, because it is easy to find the things that you do not like about it, uh, yeah. in about a heartbeat, and then it takes you two or three years. To to meet the people that you actually want to hang out with. Yeah. Uh, because initially you just hang out with whoever's around because you don't want to be alone. Yeah. And then about a year or so or two years in, you meet maybe two people. And yeah. you're like, these are my these are my seed people. Yeah. Who do they know? Yeah. And uh, and so 20 years in, I've got, you know, dozens That's and dozens great. of lovely people that, that yeah, are human and decent. I, I found that it, I've been here about five years. And when I left New York, I was... I was like in a state of like rapturous love with New York. Oh, okay. Like I would, and I still feel this way. How when long I go were back. you? There? I lived there for eight years. Okay. And at about five years in, this is why I'm thinking. Oh, I've been in LA five years. Maybe they'll start to kick in. At about five years in, I started to feel that way. Where literally, I would go walk down the street in New York, and 
every it didn't matter what kind of day it was at anywhere or what neighborhood I was in everything my eye would fall on I would just feel like that's beautiful that is so beautiful <laughs> like I love that building yeah. I love that person I love that like overflowing that's, trash can you know yeah, like whatever it is the, like not you know obviously not every not literally every, everything thing yeah. is beautiful but I was like God, I just love the way the city looks. I'm like finding beauty everywhere. There's something interesting to look at. And when I came to LA, I was like, this place is so fucking ugly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's how I felt. Right. And I would love to try to get a little bit of positive feeling about here. You know, one LA of my favorite way. things about Los Angeles, because I I love Los Angeles, I genuinely do, is that uh, three times a year is uh, different flowers, different flower times. Because mm. of the, because of the, uh, that's great. Because of the seasons, yes. It's kind of like there's like three falls and yes. three springs, yes. And you're like, oh look, that thing's blooming. What is that? What is that? <laughs> and uh, once I started noticing jacarandas, yes, right, I was like, we planted one out front because oh, jacarandas are the best. They're the best tree. They're such a great tree. Um, and there's a lot of people saying that should be the tree of Los Angeles. Fuck the palm tree, which is our, uh, which is our yeah, palm trees. Tree. Yeah, that's dumb. The jacaranda tree. You know what else is gorgeous yeah. that they have here? Is magnolias. Have you Ma- seen the magnolias? There's magnolias on, they don't, do they bloom? Yeah, they do. There's magnolias on my street, but I don't think I've seen them bloom. Well, look forward to it. You oh, will wait. look up and you'll see a giant white flower. That is, yes, they bloom yeah. white. That's yep. gorgeous. And you're like, what? You- and uh, mimosas, those are gorgeous. You want to uh, hear my favorite fact about Los Angeles? I yes, learned? please. About the seasons. Um, so, People say about L.A., they say, ah, there's no seasons here, right? They'll say that. Or they will say, hold on a second. It's June. Why is it so cold? Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, it's October. Why is it so hot? It's supposed to be, you know, they'll they'll say things like that. Okay. Um, It's it's October. It's fall. Why is it 90 degrees in fall? That's what people will say. Um, uh, What they don't realize is L.A. does have seasons. Mm -hmm. It just does not have four seasons like uh it doesn't it is not a like east coast temperate climate right it has spring summer fall and winter it has a it has a rainy season and mm-hmm. a dry season mm-hmm. much like say if you go to you know india right mm-hmm. they're like they have a dry season and like a monsoon season you know don't right. go during monsoon season um so here there's a dry season and the dry season stretches from like uh what is it? It's like uh, March. Probably through, March. Yeah, March yeah. through like November. Right. And then a wet season that goes from November through. And so that is, you know, that that is It usually the rains in January and February. Exactly. It's been changing a lot lately. I used to do a bit about uh, how there's two seasons, and it is exactly that, which yeah. is fire and flood. And <laughs> Exactly, uh, right. And I always get a call from my parents. That's great. Asking if I'm okay, and I yeah. always tell them to live near a hill or a tree. You have to have a giant <laughs> bag of money, and I couldn't be safer if there's ever a sweeping strip mall fire. Exactly. I'm fucked. But, but we, what happened is people, because, you know, white settlers, whatever, you know, like, right. a, like that strain of American culture, moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, those are the season words that we're stuck with. Mm-hmm. And as a result, people have a blindness to the seasons in L.A. Right. They say, oh, there's no, oh, it's, it's you know, it's summertime, or, or, or there's no seasons here, and they have a neglect for the actual seasons that actually exist, and they don't understand the way right. the actual seasons of the area work. Uh, as of right now, Los Angeles is in what I like to call post-Halloween crazy driver season. <laughs> and it goes from about Halloween to January 4th. And it's because it be daylight savings makes it dark at 530. Yeah. And everyone's like, I have so much stuff to do. Uh, I'm going to drive like a crazy person. January 4th, they're like, 
that's over. And uh, and then they and then it slows down again. It's nice, but uh, it is amazing if you if you look around, you'll notice that the driving is banana land. Yeah. But what one of the, one of the other things? Matter of fact, let's. I'm gonna dork out. Please. I'm talking by the way with uh, Adam Conover, just so everybody it's knows. It's you. It's Adam Conover, and it's at Adam Conover everywhere you want to go. Yeah. You have a podcast on Earwolf called Factually. I do. Uh, Adam Ruins Everything is available all the all the places, as you know. And um, and uh, God knows what I was about to say, because I wanted to make sure everybody knew your name oh, again. What was it? It was... Um, Oh, uh, if only we had a producer who could say, <laughs> "I'm writing things down." Uh, but uh, but w- uh, one of the one of the great I mean, there are so many great things about Los Angeles that I do love, mm-hmm. and um, it could be it could be anything. Kurt Brownoller. Let's talk mm-hmm. about uh, yeah. Kurt. He likes to go because when he lived in New York, he used to have this thing where he blindfolded people mm-hmm. and took them, and then he would unblindfold you, and you had to guess where you were. <laughs> and he took me to, I think, a college that was literally 20 minutes away from here. And I look, I felt like I was in the Central Valley of California. Wow. I felt like we had traveled for approximately three hours into yeah. nothing. Yeah. And then we saw some of the uh, most racially insensitive and sexually insensitive really shitty uh, uh, statues <laughs> that had been made by a guy in the 50s who had a motel and decided to make a Western-themed statuary. Wow. And then he donated them to this weird college. And so, but he, uh, if you ever get to talk to Kurt, he took Kyle Kinane, for example. There's tunnels underneath mm-hmm. Los Angeles that I don't know anything about, mm. but he took him to those. So he knows about all the different sort of weird places. Does he, does he record himself yes. doing this to people? Okay, he doesn't just do it. No, it's not just a fun fact. <laughs> um, no, he records it, and you're you get in his car. He puts a blindfold on you, and then wow! But in that in New fun. York, he would take you on the subway blindfolded, and record that. That sounds great. Yeah, I I would like to play that game. Right, right. I I I don't know how if he's still doing it. I know the Kurt. space. Are you here? No. <laughs> and uh, so. This will go up on the 26th of November, I believe. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that you would like to plug besides the things that I have spoke of? Oh, I mean, listen to Factually while you're while you're eating your Thanksgiving dinner. Chop, uh, chop. Yeah, when you, if you don't want to talk to your family, uh, just listen <laughs> to it. Podcasts are amazing. Yeah, or while you're doing those dishes. Right. While you're doing all those Thanksgiving. Because I know what you're going to – I know your plan is you've had Thanksgiving dinner with your family and you're so fucking sick of them. You can't talk to them anymore. And you say, you know what? I'm going to do the dishes because that will buy me a moment's peace and I can listen to a podcast and no one will bother me and I can be in my own space. Interesting, right. That's what you'll do. And Here's, so listen to my podcast actually where I interview uh, If for some experts. reason you've chosen to hang out with family members you don't like. I'm a huge fan <laughs> of saying uh, to my family members I don't like, we're not hanging out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm a huge fan of just own it. Just own the fact that you're a grown up and you don't have to hang out with anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's mean to you? Uh, <laughs> for real. For genuinely, it's okay. They'll if they're mad about it, they're gonna bitch about it when you're not there. <laughs> That's gonna be another good thing. And then one of your relatives who thinks that you want to know will tell you, yeah, what was said about you when you weren't there, and then you'll get to see these words. I don't actually need to know that. And <laughs> <laughs> the incredible thing about family members is that they'll be your family forever. Um, sure. I mean, you can cut people out of your life if you really have to, but for the most part, people 
They're family yeah. members forever. Right. So you don't have to keep up with them in order for you to still be family members with them. <laughs> That's, that is so – you a, could not be more true. A college friend you have to maintain a relationship with because then you might never not know them anymore. Right, right. But, they will weed off on you. Yeah, but a family, and then, a family member – Someone's going to die, and you're going to have to go to a family a family reunion. You're going to reconnect. You're, you're going to see that person, and you're going to think to yourself, "Yeah, oh yeah." You don't need to do it voluntarily because it's going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. So, do you have any big trips coming up? I've I've, I've been doing a lot of traveling this year. No, so, uh, none uh, coming up. You going I, to New York? I at have all? done some. No, I uh, uh, no, I am trying to scheme a way where I can spend a couple months a year in New York. Is what I would like to do. I've been talking to my my alma mater about maybe teaching a little comedy seminar or something like that for like a month, you know, right. um, in where they would put you up. Oh yeah. I, I think they would pay me almost nothing, but it would be like, did you go to a, Cornell? No, I went to Bard college. Upstate Bard. New York. Okay. And I just love, I love upstate New York and the Hudson Valley. And I was like, if that might give me an excuse, if I plan out a year in advance, I yep. can like just spend a month there, do a bunch of New York City stand up, take the Metro North train up to you know the college and get some nice fall colors going. Sure, sure, autumnal. Like that. That's sort of like a fantasy of mine is to is to do that. I have no other specific plans to go to New York, but of course I end up going a couple times a year. You know, right? I like to go to New York uh, for I like to go for like two weeks. Yeah, and do as many shows as I as I can, yeah. and remind the people of New York City that I exist. Yeah, and um. I haven't been able to f- put two weeks together. I'm going this uh, weekend, which will be passed. Yeah. For two, like essentially Friday and Saturday night. Yeah. And so I'm going to do a bunch of shows on Friday, and then I'm going to do my other podcast, the Jackie and Lori show. Yeah. Live at the podcast. stand on Saturday. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Where else do you get up when you're out there? Well, I usually do all the sort of bars and ulti yeah. stuff because I so love I like those rooms. Love them. Uh, but this time I'm doing the stand at New York Comedy Club, mm. and I get to do I because I I as I told both of them I said I want to do what Kill Martin does, so I'm doing seven shows on Friday night like a real New York comic does. Wow! Uh, I I wouldn't want to do it at at length. I'm I'm willing to do it once. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing four at the stand and three at the New York Comedy Club. It feels so great. You're bouncing around. Bing bong, bing bong. Yeah, yeah. Know. It's like a thing, and uh, it's just a it's it's a way to. To, I, I mean, I guess I'm going to just work on that one 15-minute chunk. Yeah. Uh, there but you go. But you know what? There's a part of me. How about this? I do seven different 15-minute chunks. <laughs> Better idea. More fun for, for everyone. Certainly me. <laughs> you got to change it up a little bit. Otherwise, you... Have you, Did you used to do that or... Did I used to do those the the clubs and stuff over no, there? No, I or? never did clubs in New York. I did all alt shows and bar shows and things like that. Although now all my friends who are stand ups who are still in New York are all at the cellar, which like I right. didn't expect because that was like the place that I literally have never been inside the cellar because I've I, been in the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I've never because I was like I'm never gonna go to a club that I'm not booked on because I don't want to like and you know why because you just want to go I I get pick up a set and I'm not famous enough yeah so, and you don't want you want them to see you and go like oh you're not on the show so you must be here to suck up to us powerful gatekeepers like no fuck it like if, right know. right I'm like uh, I yeah. will suck up if. It will result in me getting some work. Uh, yeah, but, and they're chill about it. But, right. But so, yeah, I like But the seller is not chill in any way, shape, or form yeah. that I've ever been there. So. Yeah. And so it's not a place that, like, 
anybody I knew was ever up at. Like, occasionally someone I knew would, like, get a tryout set and we'd be like, oh, incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, like, all of my... They're all in? Yeah. Sean Donnelly is a good friend. Oh, cool. Of and you know, people and like they're that. all passed and, they're all and they passed, get to go up. They're all up doing and... good. They're all, they're all going... They're all getting weird in that basement, you know? Right, right. People get people people get weird down there. Uh, but, yeah, I uh, yeah, I just have a lot, of, a lot of stuff at UCB and things like that. Of course, yeah, I like UC the UCB and then... then doesn't and... really exist in New York anymore, right. sadly. Right, but right. They, was, they, they sort just of collapsed in assassinated their own comedy business. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, that is weird. And but I, uh, it Brooklyn's really weird because it's hard to get around. Yeah, and I'm like, I would always spend more money on Lyft than I than I made. Like mm. some of those gigs would pay twenty or thirty bucks, but uh, you'd end up spending one hundred fifty bucks. Weird on. to me to be a new because I left New York before Lyft was in, Uber and Lyft were in. Then I came to LA and I'd been to LA before, but with Uber and Lyft, it's like, oh my God, it made it livable, you know? Yeah. Now I take the bus and subway around as much as I can. But um Do you have a car? I don't have a car. I oh, don't interesting. Drive. I just quit driving. And coming back to what made me like, you know, LA more was a year or two ago I quit driving and it made me like Los Angeles much better. Well there you um, go. Yeah, because it's just that is how I prefer to get around. Yep. Um today I tried to come here. I took the red line to North Hollywood and it's like then I'll hop on a bus and then I realized I wasn't gonna make it in time. So I took a lift from there. So I took a lift half the way from That's not bad. You know. Yeah. And uh, I can give you a ride back to the red line. That would be amazing. Because <laughs> then it's like yeah, I mean, that's... I, I'm doing a set over the hill, but it's on Sunset, uh, so I don't know where you live. But, I uh, live in Los Feliz. Well, I don't oh, want to yeah. tell people on this podcast where we can. Do I live this in after Van Nuys, and uh, yeah, we can totally do this. You guys, uh, longitude, latitude, gonna give it to you in Morse code. Rangers, you got it. Hey, um, we are at uh, an hour here, but let me just say that we did not talk about Nintendo much N- at all. No, that was what we said we were going to, which is my but, dorkdom. Which you love Nintendo a great deal, but I have I to say you'll have to. Just just come back because um, this was great. This Thank was you. fantastic. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for coming on. I'm going to look into some PG tips. PG tips. Got to get it. Uh, and I made watch a walkthrough of Final Fantasy 15 just for the food. Well, Final Fantasy 15 incredible. Watch some Watch A Wind Rises by Hayao Miyazaki. Right. And watch a Wong Kar Wai movie. Watch In the Mood for Love. Very romantic movie. It's one of those movies where the characters never kiss, but it's so horny. Oh really? Yeah. What's it called? In the mood for love. Okay. Um, and it's uh about these two. Do you want to hear the plot of the movie? What is it? Oh, wait, it's, wh- it's which the, one was this? It, the Hong Kong people. The Hong Kong one in the sixties, it. and it's these two couples, and they realize it's it's about it's about cheat cheating and, oh, okay. and suppressed desire. Sure. And uh. The and people expressing their suppressed de- desire using the m- politest language. Yes, like the horniest thing someone says is, "I like your new necktie," <gasps> and and th- everyone is like, "Oh, that is." It, she just confessed that she's so fucking <laughs> horny right now, um, which is incredible. So that yeah. uh, well, it does make me. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I had. Uh, a, a, a person on whose name is escaping me. Congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to watching the sieve of aging process. Anyway, except for that I was like this when I was young. Can't remember shit. <laughs> but it was about, I ended up watching a Chinese vampire movie on uh, on uh, I heard you Christmas talking about Day. this on the Jackie and Laurie show. Yeah, and it was fascinating. Who knew that Chinese vampires were so dum-dums? Yeah. They're dum-dums and they uh, walk really weird and yeah. they are hilarious mm-hmm. and the only way you can then you can neutralize them is to take like a receipt 
and uh, stick it to their forehead. Yeah. And uh, but I believe it's more than a receipt. And that's what I love about also foreign films is watching Hayao Miyazaki movies. You get a sense of Japanese folklore and folk religion and just yep. that sort of way of looking at the world, you mm-hmm. know, like a different set of assumptions about how ghosts work yep. and uh, what, you know, how spirituality operates in a, yep. in a way that's really nice. Love it. So great. Yep. We uh, are all for uh, trying out somebody else. Instant pot. You got to get an instant pot. That's it. Uh, Adam Connell, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having I'm going to turn the thing off. Anyway, Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?